0: Praise the Lord everyone. It's good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. I'm going to take your attention to 2nd Kings chapter 13. We're going to go from verse 14 to 21. And then we'll move from there to Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2. While you get there and take a second to give Praise to God who's ahead of my life. I don't know where I would be without him tonight. <clears> 2 <throat> Kings 13 and 14. Now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness, whereof he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face. And said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thy hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hand. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot and he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. And the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For thou shalt smite the Syrians in effect till thou have consumed them. And he said, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice and he stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him, and said, Thou shouldst have smitten five or six times, then hast thou smitten Syria till thou hast consumed it. Whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. And Elisha died, and they buried him. And the bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming end of the year. And it came to pass, as they were burying a man, that, behold, they spied a band of men, And they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. And two more verses in Hebrews chapter 12. Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doeth so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. For for the joy that was set before him and endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And one more time, the beginning of verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author. With the help of the Holy Ghost, I want to preach to you on this simple thought. The story isn't over. Pastor, would you pray over the Word? Lord bless you, you may be seated. The story isn't over. When I was a child, I did what most children do, even still today. And that was I watched about every superhero TV show that came on TV. Every episode, every movie, every TV show, from Batman to Superman to Spider-Man. If they were on TV, I was watching. Most of you in here can probably relate. We do have some old folks in here like Pastor John and Brother Jason and Brother Ken. I'm not sure if TVs were invented then. Did you have a TV, Pastor, when you was a kid? (laughs) But most of you can relate. From every kick... Every punch, every escape, there were many times I'd be watching and it looked like the story was coming to an end. There's no way they'll get out of this. There's no way they can escape that. This is it. I'll never get to watch Batman again. This is it. Superman is over. This is it. Spider-Man will never shoot another web. But somehow they always found some way to escape leaving me wondering, how did they do that? Always wondering, how did they escape? But as I got older, I found out it wasn't Batman's Batmobile that gave him the ability to escape. It wasn't Superman's ability to fly that gave him the ability to escape. It wasn't Spider-Man's ability to shoot webs and swing through the sky that gave him the ability to escape. But it was the power of the pen. Behind every one of them, there was an author writing the story. And he knew everything they needed to escape. He knew everything they needed to bring them out. He knew everything they needed to get them to the next episode. And I come to tell you today that we have an author. And his name is Jesus. He knows what you need to make it through the trial. He knows what you need to make it through your troubles. He knows what you need to get you to the next day. And if you'll just hold on, the story's not over. He's going to start writing and he will create you a way out. In 2 Kings chapter 13, we have two stories. The first story that's told in verses 14 through 20 is about a conversation between a king and a dying prophet. Followed by the story told in verses 20 and 21, about a dead man coming in contact with a corpse. In the first story, the prophet is sick, but he's still very much alive. And the second story is of a time that is much later. Even though they shared the same page in our Bible, even though they're only separated by a few words on the page, we know that some time has passed. Because in the final story, the prophet Elisha, is dying, but he's still very much alive. And in the second story, there's nothing left of the prophet except a pile of bones. The process of decomposition has already taken place. A process that can take months to several years to complete. So we know that some time has passed between the two stories. Two stories that seem completely unrelated. One story involves a king the other involves a corpse. One takes place while the prophet is still living, and the other takes place after he's already been dead. But in order to see how these two stories relate to one another, we have to go back to 2 Kings chapter 2. And we see that these two stories actually tell a much greater story. There was a promise that was made as Elisha and Elijah stand on the banks of the Jordan, awaiting a chariot of fire, coming to take the prophet Elijah away. And in verse 9 of chapter 2, Elijah asks Elisha this question. He says, ask me what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha asks Elijah for a double portion of his spirit. And Elijah responds, you've asked a hard thing. You've asked a difficult thing. You want a double anointing of what I've experienced. And the reason that's a hard thing today is many times we look at the success of other people. We look at the anointing other people have on their lives. We want that success. We want that anointing, but we don't want to go through what they've been through to get that anointing. But when you want something someone else has got, you got to go through what they've been through to get it. If you want the same anointing that pastor's got, you better be ready to go through everything he's been through to get it. You want the same praise that brother Mike's got. You better be ready to go through everything he's been through to get it. You want the same shout that sister Serena's got. You better be ready to go through everything she's been through to get it. If you want something that someone else has got, you've got to be willing to go through what they've been through. That's why Elijah said, you've asked a hard thing. But even though he said, you've asked a hard thing, he said, but if you're still with me, when the chariots come down and take me away, then I promise you I'm going to place a mantle on you with a double portion of anointing, a double portion of the power of God, a double portion of God using your life, a promise of a double portion. Then shortly after the conversation on the banks of the Jordan, the chariots come down to pick up Elijah. And Elisha runs over and he picks up that mantle. And he carries that mantle as a symbol of a double portion promise that's been made. And if you continue to read, you'll find that Elisha's ministry definitely had a double portion of anointing on it. For every miracle that Elijah performed in his life, Elisha performed too. Theologians have studied the ministries of Elijah and Elisha. Some theologians think that Elijah worked seven miracles and Elisha worked 14. Others believe that Elijah, Elijah, Elijah worked 14 miracles and Elisha worked 28. And even though different theologians call different things miraculous, even though some believe that they worked more miracles than others, they all agree on one thing. That when we get to 2 Kings chapter 13 and Joash walks in the room, Elisha is one miracle away from a double portion. One miracle short of his promise. He's got one miracle left and Elisha knows that he's come to the end of his life. And if he's going to fulfill his promise of a double portion, he has to do it right now. And Joash just walked in the room. Elisha sees his opportunity, but the problem is Elisha wanted the miracle more than Joash. He tells Joash, grab the bow and grab those arrows and smite the ground until you've completely destroyed the Syrians. So Joash takes the bow and he grabs the arrows and he smites the ground, but he stops after three times. The Bible says that Elisha, the man of God, was wroth. He was angry because Joash had the arrows of deliverance in his hand. He had all that he needed to have a complete deliverance. He had all that he needed to completely destroy the Syrians. But Joash was happy with only a partial deliverance. Come on, somebody. So many times we walk into this place, we have all we need for a complete deliverance. We have all we need for a complete healing. We have all we need for to see a miracle The power of God is moving all through the house. People are shouting and dancing all around you. The presence of God is so strong that you can barely hold the tears back. Everything in the atmosphere is for deliverance. Everything's in the atmosphere for a healing. Everything's in the atmosphere for a miracle. But we still walk out of here without it. I come to tell somebody tonight, God wants to deliver you more than you even want to be delivered. God wants to heal you more than you even want to be healed. God wants to save you more than you even want to be saved. And I believe just like there was one miracle left in the body of Elisha, there's one miracle left in this body of this place tonight. God wants to do something in this place tonight. He wants to do something that man can't explain. He wants to do something that man can't describe. You can't get it in a prescription at the doctor's office. You can't get it at AA. You can't get it from a lawyer or a psychiatrist, but you can find it here in this place tonight because there's power in this house. There's power in the church. In the church, tumors can disappear. In the church, addictions can be broken. In the church, marriages can be restored. In the church, relationships can be mended. That's why the devil wants to destroy this place. That's why the devil wants to destroy the church. But he's been trying to destroy it for thousands of years. And he hasn't succeeded yet. Because the back of the book says he won't succeed. Because in the end, we win. There's power in the church. The church has been through the flood, but the flood couldn't drown it. It's been fed to the lions, but the lions couldn't eat it. It's been thrown in the fire, but the fire couldn't burn it because you can't stop the church. There's power in the church. But it's up to you tonight. Will you walk out of here with your miracle? Will you walk out of here with your healing? Will you walk out of here with your deliverance? Or will you be like Joash and settle for less? Will you be satisfied with a partial blessing? Will you be satisfied with partial deliverance? Will you be satisfied walking out of here without your healing? Or will you stand up tonight and say, I'm going to keep shooting until I run out of arrows. I'm going to keep praising until my circumstance is gone. I'm going to keep worshiping until my troubles disappear. Nothing's going to stop me from getting my blessing. Nothing's going to stop me from getting my healing. Nothing's going to stop me from getting my deliverance because I believe there's one more miracle in this place and it's mine to go get tonight. There's power in this place. There's one more miracle in this place tonight. But the question is, did you come to get yours tonight or will you walk away like Joash did? Joash walked out of that room that day with a partial deliverance with a partial blessing, and the prophet Elisha was mad because he missed his promise of a double portion by one miracle. But the story wasn't over because no story is ever over until the author stops writing. In verse 20 and 21, these men are burying a man, and they see a band of Moabites coming. So they throw the dead man into another sepulcher, which just happens to be the sepulcher of Elisha. The Bible says when the dead man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. Elisha's double portion promise was fulfilled when that dead man touched his bones in that grave. Because if God's made you a promise, not even the grave can stop it from coming to pass. Come on, somebody, if God's made you a promise... Nothing can stop it from happening. If he promised you your children are going to be saved, nothing can stop it from happening. Young person, if he promised you your parents are going to be saved, nothing can stop it from happening. Nothing can stop the promise of God. A dead man received a miracle that a living king could have received. But the difference was the dead man couldn't talk his way out of the miracle. It looked like Johash had stopped the promise from happening when Elisha died. It looked like the story was over, but I come to tell you tonight it's not over until the author stops writing. And in Hebrews chapter 12, Paul said, Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher. Come on, somebody, as long as you put the pen in the hand of the author, nothing that comes against you can stop you. As long as you put the pen in the hand of the author, no circumstance can overtake you. No trouble can take you out because there's power in the hand of the author. Somebody needs to know in this place today that God still holds the pen. It may look like you're surrounded. It may look like you're finished, but God still holds the pen. Come on, somebody, you don't see a way through your circumstance. You're about to give up, but look unto Jesus, the author. It's not over because he's still writing. It's not finished because he's still writing. Your story's not over because he's still writing. God still holds the pen. Lift your eyes off your problem and get your eyes on Jesus. Lift your eyes off what the doctor told you and get your eyes on Jesus. Lift your eyes off your circumstance and get your eyes on Jesus because he still holds the pen. Somebody give him some praise if you believe that he still holds the pen. When your back's against the wall and God's holding the pen in your life, he's going to make a way out of the temptation. He's going to make a way out of the circumstance. I wonder if anybody in this place can testify of a time when it looked like you were finished. It looked like you had no way out. It looked like it was over, but out of nowhere, God began to write. And your circumstance began to turn around. God began to write, and your addiction had to break. God began to write, and your depression had to leave. God began to write, and your cancer disappeared. Because things change when you give the pen back to the author. When Paul was shipwrecked, it looked like the story was over, but God provided broken pieces to get him back to shore. When Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, it looked like the story was over, but God shut the mouths of the lions. When Moses was running from the Egyptians... It looked like the story was over, but God parted the Red Sea. Come on, somebody, when the author holds the pen to your life, it's not over until he says it's over. He's the only one that knows the end at the beginning. He's the only one that knows your way out of the storm. He's the only one that knows your way through the fire. If you just give him the pen, he will write you a way out. He doesn't always keep you from the fire, but he will keep you through it when those Hebrew boys stood before Nebuchadnezzar that day, and he told them when the music plays that they had to bow to that golden image, or he was going to throw them in the fiery furnace. But the Hebrew boys knew who the author was. The Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar asked them, What God will deliver you from my hands? It was the author. And they replied, Our God, whom we serve, will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we still won't bow to your God. They were saying he's got control of the pen. And if he wants to ride us out of the fire, he can. So they bound them men up. They threw them in the fire. The Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar came down. And as he looked in the furnace, he asked the men around him, didn't we throw three men in the furnace? And they said, yes, O king, we threw three men in. And he said, well, I see four, and one looks like the Son of God. Come on, somebody, I come to tell you tonight, if you put the pen in the hand of the author, he will show up, and he will deliver you. There's not a fire that's too hot. There's not a storm that's too strong. There's not a valley that's too low. He will show up, and he will deliver you. The Bible says those three men walked out of the furnace, not a burn on them, not even a smell of smoke. But the Bible never says anything about the fourth one walking out. And I believe that's because he knew that 2,000 years later, somebody was going to walk into this place ready to put the pen in the hand of the author. And you was going to have to go through the fire, and he wanted you to know that he's going to be there waiting on you. Come on, somebody, things change when you give the pen back to the author. Things change when the author begins to write. Me and my wife weren't supposed to have any kids, but God began to write. And up in heaven, he wrote Aubrey, and he wrote Weston. Brother Ken, Sister Amber wasn't supposed to have you a grandbaby, but up in heaven, he began to write Millie. Come on, somebody, things change when you give the pen back to the altar. Jason, when you walked into that hospital two weeks ago with Tori, they told you that the top part of her heart wasn't working. But I saw her that Sunday before up here giving the pen back to the author. Up here with her hands in the air, passing the pen. And up in heaven, he just began to write. Miracle. Come on, somebody. Then the doctor had to walk in. He said, after the scans, I don't know what happened, but everything's perfectly fine. Things change when you give the pen back to the altar. Brother David, when you walked through those doors and you made your way to this altar for the first time, God began to write, delivered. And there ain't no turning back, sir. Come on, somebody. Things change when you give the pen back to the altar. Brother Jediah, when you were born, you had nothing to worry about because the altar had control of your story. Pastor, when you had your car accident or your motorcycle accident, you didn't have nothing to worry about because he had already written pastor. Yeah. Things change when you give the pen back to the author. As the musicians come. When the Hebrew boys were talking with Nebuchadnezzar, the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar said he was going to turn the fire up seven times hotter. The book of Daniel, for the most part, is written in Aramaic. When he said that number seven, that number seven meant as hot as it would get. Because when the enemy gets you in the fire, he wants it as hot as he can because he knows the fire is going to add to your life. He knows that the fire is going to add growth. He knows that the fire is going to add strength. He knows that the fire is going to add to you and he wants to kill you as fast as he can. But what he didn't know is them men went inbound, but the fire mobilized them. The fire burnt what was binding them off of them. And they were moving around in the fire with the fourth man. When you put the pen in the hands of the author, nothing is impossible. If you give him the pen to your life, your life will change for the better. I can promise you. I've been on both sides. So if anybody in this place tonight... If you just want to give the pen back to the author, these altars are open. If he's already got the pen in your life and you just want to tell him, keep writing the story, these altars are open. Things change when you get the pen and you give it back to the author.